Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of the Coaching and Consulting Insight Series on the Success Insight Podcast. Our guest today is Sam Palazzolo. Now, Sam wears a number of hats, including founder and managing director at Tip of the Spear Ventures, founding partner at the Zeroing Agency, and principal manager at the Javelin Institute. Sam and his team at Tip of the Spear Ventures is a private equity firm that provides early stage entrepreneurs with venture capital and as a holding portfolio for mergers and acquisitions and the conducting of business funding services. And this is a kind of a new topic for us. And I'm very excited to bring Sam on to kind of hear more about his background in the work at Tip of the Spear Ventures. So Sam, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast and our Coaching and Consulting Insights Series. Thanks, Howard. And for our listeners, so Sam is no stranger to me. Okay, we have cross paths. If it hasn't been at the leadership, I think Sam was a leadership challenge forum many years ago when we were just going to the same you know, breakout rooms and just kind of getting to know each other. And also you are extremely prolific on LinkedIn. And I thought, you know, this is kind of a stretch for some of the business consulting work that we've done uh, on the podcast. And, you know, comes down to it. You're a business guy. You help companies, teams, organizations succeed. And, and I thought, you know, given we're just coming out of COVID-19, there's a lot of churn in the marketplace right now. And given the work that you're doing, let's, I just want to hear more about you, your background, and how you got into this really fascinating area of business. Yeah. No, thank you, Howard. It's great spending time with you as usual. You're right. Yeah. I go back, I think it was right after I left the tech startup. Um, we were doing some coaching and consulting together and uh, we met at one of those Jim Coozes and Barry Posner Leadership Challenge Summits over in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I'll give the listeners a background on me, and then we can kind of launch into our conversation today. So uh, from 2010 to 2012, I led a tech startup. We were super fortunate. We had a private equity exit. I didn't recognize at the time how fortunate I was, but apparently that's less than 2% of all startups make it to a private equity exit. Uh, at the conclusion of that, though, I was looking around, uh, what is it that I, that I wanted to do? I come from big consulting. I've worked with Deloitte. I've worked with Aon's Change Management Group. I had my own consulting firm that I grew from single shingle to 20 folks over a six-year time period prior to the tech startup. And when I exited the tech startup, I had one of my senior partners call me up and he asked if we were going to put the band back together again, <laughs> so to speak. And, and I said, yeah, I think that sounds awesome. That's exactly what I'd love to do, but I want to do it a little differently. Uh, this time I want to have two sides of the house. I really enjoyed the private equity experience and I have a financial background. So I said, you know what? I want to do that. And so in addition to having a consultancy where we do business transformation consulting, we call it the zeroing agency. If you're familiar with scoping a rifle so that way you hit your target, that's called zeroing. So that's where the zeroing agency comes from. Uh, at Tip of the Spear, we also still have a venture side of the house as well. Uh, in addition to that, I took the work that you and I were doing way back when, put it into a 501c3 nonprofit that provides executive education, where we do leadership development and executive coaching uh, to this day. So it's, it's a passion play of mine. 
I know that the IRS will say that you can be a, a 501c3 nonprofit if you provide education, but I really wanted my nonprofit to benefit somebody. So a portion of our proceeds at the Institute go to leaders who experience family hardships. And hardships, in my mind, come down to four Ds, the, either a death, disease, divorce, or a drug utilization moment. So that's a little bit of the philanthropic work that I do. Uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on, as you alluded to, in the market today. We've got churn. We've got leaders exiting the pandemic, looking for answers on how it is that they can drive their businesses forward. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Now, one question that I know one of my listeners somewhere is going to have is tip of the spear ventures. What is the tip of the spear? You have the Javelin Institute. So I'm thinking it's something long and sharp. So what's this all about? Yeah. So tip of the spear, you know, when I lived in San Diego, which is where the tech startup came from, and that's where I spent the final years with my original consultancy, yeah, I did a lot of work with the Department of Defense, specifically the U.S. Navy and the Marine Corps, Camp Pendleton's heavy presence north of San Diego. And tip of the spear is a Marine Corps moment of being first in. And when we looked at what could we name this venture firm that we were going to launch, we wanted to help out early stage entrepreneurs in their journey. So that way they could successfully go from the ideation to the creation, to the launch pad, to the liftoff phases. And so tip of the spear, we decided, you know what? That sounds like exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to be first in. We're going to help these entrepreneurs win. And that's where tip of the spear ventures came from, from a naming. Is this tip of the spear ventures, is this Shark Tank in a, in a way? I mean, and granted, you're not on TV, but do you have people coming to you pitching ideas? Yeah, I think so we're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary here next year. Okay. And in the early days, that's exactly what we did. We would go to Pitch Fest. We were members in several angel group organizations. Angel groups are the original seed funding instrument. Typically, once an entrepreneur exhausts their own their own funding or their friends and family funding, which is a great way for them never to speak to anyone else in their family at the holidays. Sure. Uh, they'll find they'll look to outreach to an angel community of investors. And so we were we were at that space back then. I want to say in the in the years since our since our launch, I, I'd like to think that we've gotten better on the venture side of the house today. We've got three main focuses. One very much still is working with early stage entrepreneurs. But today we cap it at or establish a floor of a million dollar annual revenue. Typically, anything south of that, we find that the entrepreneurs just don't have traction in the marketplace. And that's not to say that we're like most incubators or innovation labs where they'll only work with entrepreneurs that want to have the billion dollar idea. You know, we look at it like, you know what, if you want to have a, a 10 to 20 million dollar business, I know in the big scheme of things and from a private equity perspective, that would be considered, Howard, a lifestyle business. But entrepreneurs who operate at that that revenue level, they have a really great lifestyle. So we, we drew the floor in at a million dollar annual revenue. That's one third or one leg of the stool on our venture side of the firm. The second uh, leg of the stool on the venture side is we do what's called business funding consulting. So entrepreneurs, organizational leaders, 
uh, regardless of the maturity of the organization, some of them are getting out of the gate. Some have been in business for 10, 20 plus years, but they're looking for some business funding. And we'll help walk through that type of a model. Typically, most entrepreneurs think of it as a capital raise. With the work that I did at the University of London, you know, we identified five different customer funding opportunities, much better for the entrepreneur. They don't have to give up equity stake, but that's the second leg of the stool. It's business funding. The third leg of the stool, Howard, and I've taught at the university level since 2008. I'm an adjunct faculty member at UNLV, and we had a meeting at Harvard now about four years ago. Um, and I got to meet the gentleman who wrote the book on buying a small business or the concept of entrepreneurship through acquisition. And when we looked at our venture business, we were working with entrepreneurs that were startups. And it is such a grind. I mean, 50% or more of all startups fail within the first year. As I mentioned earlier, less than 2% ever make it to a private equity exit. The better model that these Harvard folks were presenting was if you want to be an entrepreneur, why don't you do it rather than start up? Why don't you just acquire a business? And I'm convinced that there's never been a better time than now to explore buying a business specifically because of the exiting baby boomer demographic. We've got all of those folks looking to exit the professional workplace, head off into retirement. A lot of them have had their businesses for 20, 30 years. It's a great opportunity especially when they don't have a clear line of secession. In other words, they don't have any kids that are going to take over the business. There's generally no second in command who could buy the business. We'll step in. We'll carry on the legacy of those organizations. And a lot of times, these aren't sexy businesses, right? I mean, we, we look in the manufacturing and construction industries specifically. You know, these are not, <laughs> again, they're not tech industry uh, businesses, they're not going to have the 200 or 2000 percent growth annually, but they're going to be really great lifestyle businesses. So they're going to turn somewhere between five and 15 million dollars in annual revenue. They're going to employ anywhere from 10 to 100 uh, plus individuals. You know, the small businesses of America make up the backbone of America. And, and that's the space that we love operating in. So we're, we've been late entrance to it, the third leg of the stool on the venture side of the house, the M&A space. But that's where, that's where it is that we're spending a lot of our time and efforts right now. In addition to getting to know you and your team and the work that you're doing, obviously we're going to provide the website and ways to contact you. But I'm also curious, because we have a lot of book authors on the show, is if you wouldn't mind the name of the book, who, who wrote the book on this topic? Yeah, so I'll we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, but it's a the two professors, and I think I have it right here, because we bring on we bring on anywhere from three to four interns every trimester. Okay, um, and it's Richard Rubach and Royce Yudkoff. Okay, uh, but buying a small business is the HBR guide to it. Fantastic. And we we look at it. We provide it to each one of our interns as we onboard them I love as it. part of their internship. It's almost a book report assignment. Sure. Uh, read the book, report out on Friday, give us a presentation. Uh, it's the key book that we leverage within our interns and our practice. So I, I'm curious. Well, two questions come to mind, Sam. Once you 
find the business. Are you going in and and your team going in and taking it over, giving the the the, the owner kind of his glide path to to move out, and then running it, or are you running it to prepare it for sale? What do you? How's that work? Yeah, great question. You know, so we're owner investors at Tip of the Spear. You know, while I've run organizations, hands on the wheel as an owner operator, my preference today is to be owner investor, which means that, you know, through our entrepreneur in residence program, which is something new for us, because traditionally we've looked at organizations that had a strong second in command who couldn't afford to buy the business. We've purchased the business. And then we've kind of established the second in command as kind of a president of the operation with an equity stake in it. So that way they have skin in the game. Um, that's been a great practice of ours. But we're looking at it also as, you know, what if there's not? And that's been the case, unfortunately, more, more times than not with the businesses that we've looked at where they haven't had a strong second in command. You know, when that's the case, obviously the, the person that's looking to retire, the owner, uh, they don't want to stick around. Uh, that forces us, if they don't have a strong second in command, to either become owner operators, which we don't want to do, or to go out and find one. Now, we're fortunate that we've, we've got a really great uh, partner who does executive recruiting. They can find us A plus talent that geographically can go wherever, whenever. But it's always nice to have a, a kind of a I want to say a stable of ready entrepreneurs who want to be uh, owner operators of businesses. So that's our new entrepreneur in residence program um, that we launched here. And we're looking at it like every year we're going to bring six entrepreneurs in residence. And then together we're going to find businesses that are of interest to them and us to run. They'll put in their money or we'll put in all of our money, uh, none of theirs. But we'll give them a piece of the business. They can go and operate it, and then we'll we'll run the businesses. The I think the I framed the question or the answer to your original question of, you know, well, what happens then from an output perspective with the business? You know, I think there's any number of different ways in which you can approach a business to run it. Uh, our best practice, though, owner investor having owner operator as boots on the ground. That's our model. You know, I'm interested in the entrepreneur in residence because it seems to me this is a great opportunity for an individual who, for whatever reason, he or she is, they're top notch, but maybe there's politics in the corporate sphere. Maybe it's a family run business and, you know, the somebody else, somebody else in the family is going to take it over and the person, this individual realizes I have no, I have no future here, but they're top notch. And so this entrepreneur in residence opportunity sounds like a, a great path for them to come and, you know, apply to be in residence with you, with you guys. Mm-hmm. And then it's an opportunity for them to actually go in and be the top person in the organization. Yeah. No, it, it really is. You know, if you think about it, Howard, and you and I are, I'm an accountant by training. We're both, the thing I respect about you is we're we're detail-oriented. We believe in managing by the metrics or the KPIs. And, you know, when you do studies of who makes a successful entrepreneur, it's generally individuals that are between 35 and 45 years old. 
I know that everybody typically thinks it's got to be a Mark Zuckerberg who's crushing it in his dorm at Harvard, uh, some 18-year-old kid who's ready for a proactive commercial, but that's very rarely the case. Successful entrepreneurs have generally gone off. They've worked in corporate America. As you said, they probably hit some type of a ceiling or... Perhaps it's the number one reason why individuals leave organizations is because they work for a bad boss. Sure. You know, I I also will say this much that, you know, I always looked at M&A activity as that is way out of my league. I mean, this is the stuff that movies are made of, large conglomerates like General Electric would do. I mean, there's no way a small business guy like me who likes to be with small business owners how is it that I could potentially, you know, buy a business in that space? The reality of it, though, and this is it took me going to Harvard to recognize this, and I don't want anybody else to have to wait that long. The reality is, is that your dream of acquiring a business is much closer than you recognize or realize. There are government programs out there. The Small Business Administration has special loans that will allow buying a business to be spread out over a decade plus. It just becomes much more affordable. And just like any business situation, the numbers have got to be the numbers and they've got to check out. But small business ownership, it's within reach of everybody. So this might come across as a naive question. That's always a possibility. What's the advantage, disadvantage from your perspective, Sam, of this model versus there's tons of people out there trying to get you into a franchise mm-hmm. because that's a way to invest and get into a business. Mm-hmm. Why would I go one versus the other? What are your thoughts there? You know, certainly uh, franchise ownership could be the right path for someone. Um, it's not for us and not for me. But it's it's the right path for a lot of folks. Sure. Um, okay. Why? Because one, those are generally cookie cutter, replicated with consistency from point A or geographic location A to geographic location point B, so on and so forth. You know that you're going to have the same type of operation, and and maybe the challenges have been worked out or the problems have been figured out. So that way, it's a little easier ramp to get established, up, running, or to even buy an existing franchise. There's plenty of franchises that are out there that are for sale today that are existing. The owners just want to get out. Maybe some of them are baby boomers. Maybe some of them got into it and didn't recognize what they were getting into, uh, but wanted to part. So franchise purchase or franchise M&A, it's a large portion of this space. As I mentioned, our preference, though, is to go non-franchise route. You know, we we like working with businesses that aren't franchised. From our perspective, the, the margins, the numbers seem to be a little bit higher or favor the ownership team. Uh, as, a, as, as an example, you know, each month you have a certain expectation to provide a percentage of the revenue back to the franchise. Well, if you own it outright, you don't have to pay that percentage. You also have flexibility in vendor selection with who it is that you work with and how you work with them and deals that you structure. For a lot of small business owners, that can be a real headache. Sure. From our perspective, we look at it like, no, that's that's part of the great fun of owning a small business. If we're looking at an opportunity, having a conversation with a potential business owner who's looking to get out or 
uh, one of the the, the uh, entrepreneur and residence folks. What are the types of questions that get asked? Because it seems to me there's a lot of questions that you have to have answers to before you flip that switch and say mm-hmm. yes or no. Yeah. So how do you work that out? So I, I would go back to, and this is where we identify the majority of the organizations that we have the conversation with, and that's through our business transformation consultancy, through the zeroing agency's activities. When we outreach and we connect with small businesses, we're looking to help those leaders grow their businesses. You know, that's what business transformation is. We have a heavy focus on sales, business development. It doesn't mean that we don't swim upstream to marketing and strategic planning and then downstream to the operations of fulfillment, whether it's a product or service and then the customer experience. But our business transformation consultancy allows us to outreach and connect with leaders who have their own businesses or who are within the C-suite. So that way we can help them really transform and accelerate their businesses forward. You know, inevitably at some point, we might have the conversation that goes something like, hey, this is a really great business. Do you all ever consider selling it? Or what is the, what's the succession plan look like? Especially those family owned businesses, right? Where, you know, maybe there, again, there's not that clear line of succession. We've got an aging owner that's maybe entertaining retirement in the coming decade. What does that look like? And, and anytime we can begin and on our consulting engagements, we are not a flash in the pan group. I mean, we are going to interview a lot of folks. Um, for the consultancy. We're not right for everybody, nor is everybody right for us. Uh, But it is one of those situations where, you know, our average engagement lasts 12 to 24 months. So it's a real long-term commitment and we strategically partner with them. We roll up our sleeves, we're on site, while we're off site, we're supporting them. But it's it's a true partnership instead of just your typical consulting arrangements where, Senior partner might come through the organization, do the pitch, get you sold on it, and then have some freshman analyst come on through and actually conduct the engagement. We don't do that. We operate with senior leadership on site or as your contact person, specifically when we're off site. So that way you have a senior leader that you're working with uh, in a consulting capacity. But you know, you're right. There's a lot of questions that business owners have and, and entrepreneurs and residents regarding, you know, what kind of business should I buy? And I think it's almost the equivalent of in a marketing perspective. And I know you've worked with plenty of marketing departments. You know, when you establish those buyer personas for who it is that's going to be the end user of your product or service, it's almost a similar exercise in working with entrepreneurs and residents, identifying what are the businesses, instead of the individuals who are going to buy your service, what are the businesses or industries that you're interested in running an operation, in running an organization? And the more specific you can identify those buyer personas or company personas, in our instance for the entrepreneur and residents, the more successful they'll be. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it definitely resonates from the marketing space. You know, you you call it the ideal business. We would call it the the ideal customer. So I love that. On the website, there is the uh, the assessment that you were offering, and I pulled it down. It's it's huge, and it's just a lot of great questions. There was one question, by the way, that 
I kind of smiled at about getting on the bus or off the bus. So you, I said, I think you've read Jim Collins's book, good to great, but uh, yeah, we, we were just in a round table discussion that Jim Collins led uh, last month. And so one of those things, but no, thank you. The, the, it's called the business transformation self-assessment workbook. It's 37 pages in length. It's 128 questions, and it overviews the four main pillars that we would look to explore in transforming the business forward. The four pillars, strategy, execution, cash flow or cash generation, and that all-important people moment. So each section uh, has you know, the 32 questions, but 128 in total over spread out over 37 pages. Uh, so yeah, it's long, but there's a lot of white space in there because it's, it's a workbook, right? And we typically have folks who in a DIY fashion download it and take a look at it, uh, but then they outreach to us because they're looking for, for assistance in completing it. And that's when either from a do it uh, in a partnership with us from a consulting arrangement or do it with us, uh, but, you know, kind of an interim uh, in between a DIY and a do it in partnership with us. We've got those different types of levels as well. Now, does this business transformation play into the, you know, going out and finding these businesses to buy or is this, is this somebody, is this another business that they've heard of you? They know you do this work and they, they need help. It can, it can be both. It's typically both. Um, okay. you know, we, we have the assessment out there primarily to help with our consulting services. It really helped us, uh, you know, steel sharpens steel. And in our case, at tip of the spear, we're always looking for how can we have the best edge on the, on the tip of the spear, you know, so that way we, we can work with organizational leaders who want to become better. So most organization leaders, they'll hear us on a podcast like this. They'll see one of either the 300 articles that I've written that are published that everybody has access to either via LinkedIn or on our site. Uh, they may read one of the five books that I've published, but they'll come into contact with me and then they'll find that. It's been a great tool also from just a, and I know you have a lot of coaches and consultants that are always looking for, how can I get people to know me who aren't in my network? This is our traditional leave behind that we'll have folks who they don't know who Sam is and they don't know what tip of the spear is or the zeroing agency, but they know that they want to transform their business to become better for tomorrow. And so they'll secure it and they'll begin working on it and then they'll get in touch. Uh, and it's just a great introduction to me, to the firm, et cetera. And so anytime you can expand your network outside of who it is that knows you today, uh, I consider those to be victories. Fantastic. Now, another question I have is, you know, besides our friendship and we've known each other for a number of years, you're very prolific on LinkedIn and you had this great series on entrepreneurship through acquisition and these videos. I mean, Sam, you should be doing your own podcast, by the way, but that's a whole, we'll have that conversation later. How, how do these uh, videos come about and what kind of traction are you seeing there as a result of producing those? Yeah. So I think we, we put together a series that's called ETA in 30 days. It was meant to, as I mentioned earlier, we're latecomers to the whole M&A space. 
Um, I don't want anyone out there not to recognize that this is a viable opportunity for them. Not that working in corporate America for an employer is a bad thing, uh, but it is one of those things where if maybe that's not what you want to do, maybe this is something that you should look to explore. So that way, maybe you feel a little bit more fulfillment at the end of the day. You know, I think, you know, I, I mentioned I'm from big consulting, but the senior partner I worked with at my first firm pulled me aside one time and he said, Sam, take a look around this organization. What do you notice? And I said, you know, I noticed a bunch of smart people are here. And he said, yeah, they're extremely smart, but they're so smart. This is the only place they've ever worked. He said, you're going to get more out of life and more out of your career if as a consultant, you spend a couple of years, maybe within consulting, a couple of years outside of consulting, actually rolling up your sleeves, hands on the wheel, leading a department or a team or an organization, you can always come back to consulting. Consulting will always have room for talent. But, you know, if you're only consulting based off of the consulting firm initiatives or what it is that you've learned as a consultant, you know, you're going to be limited. You know, most leaders that are out there in corporate America, they want to know that the person that they're working with in a consulting capacity has actually rolled up their sleeves and can relate with them and has done the things that they're attempting to do or will do. And so that's kind of been the MO that I've kind of patterned after when it comes to going in and out of consulting type engagements, you know, working in corporate America, leading teams, departments, organizations. It's been much more beneficial. But the video series that you mentioned, 30 Days to ETA, we did one a couple of years ago uh, that was called Best Leader in 30 Days. So it's kind of akin to that okay. where... Over a 30-day time period, two-minute videos that allow a leader to get a message in their head for the day, attempt to execute it. At the end of the day, the theory or the workbook uh, has you check in just to see, how did I do? Did I do what it was that I was I set out to do for the day? Am I a better leader as a result of that two-minute video? So best leader in 30 days, you can find it at the Javelin Institute. Fantastic. Now, I have... Uh... I don't know, maybe it's a gotcha question. There was a, uh, I belong to, uh, was a world business executive coaching conference. Every year they have a symposium of coaches, consultants, everything from learning how to be a better coach to, you know, develop, building your business, et cetera. And there was a question the other day about, you know, one of the coaches has a client and they were interested in, uh, a leadership development conference. They weren't interested in being trained as a leader. As a leader, and I, I, I again, I was th- I knew I was going to be uh, uh, having you as my guest on on Success Insight, and I thought about the Leadership Challenge Forum where you and I met, mm-hmm. and I potentially would send a client there because it's an opportunity to talk about principles of leadership using that model. If you were to recommend resources, whether it be a conference or a series of books besides your own, or in addition to your own, Sam, I want to we'll get we'll pitch your books too. Uh, right. But in addition to just going out on Google, what do you recommend if you know just to kind of help that leader, that young leader that's you know really has 
you know, they're, they're a good person. They want to be, they want to do right, not only for themselves, their family, but also inspire their team to, to achieve great things. What are some go-tos that you would recommend? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start off by saying this much that, you know, my mother always said that if you tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you everything there is to know about you. Um, if I, I, I kind of take that motto everywhere with me, along with, I also had a neighbor whose mother was the librarian at a local school district. And she always had a similar saying, but it was, if you tell me what books you're reading, I'll tell you everything there is to know about you. So if you combine my mother and his mother, you probably got the perfect scenario of, if you tell me what books you're reading and tell me who it is that you're hanging out with, I'll tell you everything it is that, to, that I need to know about you. Um, so, so those are crucial moments. When it comes to the books that I'm reading right now, I am a prolific digester of anything that's sales, biz dev, marketing related. Why? Because nothing happens until you sell something. You can have the greatest product. I see it all the time with the entrepreneurs that we work with. I've, I've seen some really incredibly smart developers, you know, IT folks. But boy, they can't sell their idea and they can't describe their idea to save their lives. And they really can't save their entity or their startup because of it. Um, so I'm prolific. I've read, read, read over a thousand books on the topic of sales, business development, marketing. I've even gone to an executive education course at Kellogg at Northwestern. When we were looking to buy a digital marketing agency, I thought, you know what? I'm already doing some leadership work with some of the folks at Kellogg. They recommended the marketing department for their digital strategy program. I went and did it. It really helped us out in a due diligence capacity with the digital ad agency uh, exploration. Um, but you mentioned something that's crucial besides reading books, and that is conferences. And this has been difficult, right? Especially as we've gone into and you know, we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic successfully because the conferences kind of shut down. And the best part of going to a conference wasn't necessarily maybe the content within session. It was the networking, the coffee clutches in between sessions, maybe the lunches, the cocktail parties, the socializing. That's where you get to meet similar thought leaders or people that are interested in the topic that drew you to the conference. And those are the people that you can begin networking with. And, and I've got two pieces of advice when it comes to, to networking. And it, it's from when I lived in New York. You know, compare, contrast New York. I lived in other geographic locations. I've been super fortunate. I was born and raised in the same house in Detroit. But subsequently, I've lived from Midtown Manhattan all the way to Honolulu, Hawaii, and a bunch of places in between. Okay. <laughs> but, but in New York, they do do something really neat when you meet somebody at one of these business professional association meetings. The first question everybody always asks is, so what do you do, Sam? <laughs> the reason why they ask that question is because they're attempting to identify in their mind who it is that they could, based on your responses of what you do, who they can introduce you to, who they can network with you with, those types of connections are crucial, especially in a small island like Manhattan, right? The second question that they always ask is, where do you live? Because where it is that you live, you can say what you want to, but it's a representation of who you are. In other words, are you a shooter? Are you a wannabe? Are you somewhere in between those two positions? 
And, and I really, I like that. I've done that methodology. You know, I'm a helper by nature. I always try to network folks into situations so that way they can achieve success. Uh, this, I've lived in other areas where they ask the same first question, what do you do for a living? But the intent or the reason behind it wasn't so they could network you. It was so that they could sell you something. Right. In one of the geographic locations I lived in, uh, you know, people, it, I wouldn't even finish my second sentence and they'd recognize I can't sell Sam anything. And so they'd turn around and walk away. Right. You would think that that would have been in maybe one of the more tough geographic locations and you can fill in what tough geographic location you think I'm talking about because you probably have some in mind too. But this was in probably one of the nicest Mayberry settings that I would have thought possible. <laughs> and it just, it just didn't work out. Again, not my speed, not my speed, not my mentality, but I always look to go back to, you know, who are the people you surround yourself with? What are the books that you're reading? And that'll tell me everything there is to know about you. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, before we head out, Sam, a question that I have uh, that I'd love to get more insight into is this, the Javelin Institute, the 501c3. Right after this call, I have a, I have a standing bi-monthly coaching call where I help a group of folks that are unemployed, show them everything they need to know about LinkedIn. So you are helping in your 501c3, a very specific population of folks, the the um, the three Ds, as you've described. How did you end up moving into this space? Because definitely, even executives, business owners, we all have, you know, we, we reach a point in life that some event happens. You know, we didn't plan for it, but it happens. And, you know, in this case, there's somebody there to help them through the the Javelin Institute. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so when I mentioned pre-tech startup, we had a consultancy, heavy focus sales biz dev. You know, you can work in that space at the front line or entry level position. Uh, you can make a really great living there. But we recognize that. And again, I'm an accountant by training. We were missing the metrics of achievement. The KPIs just weren't being put up on the dashboard because we had such great turnover at that entry level position. So we recognized real, real quick, straight off the bat that, you know, if we're going to be successful in this space, working with the organizations we're partnering with, we've got to swim upstream and work with the leaders. Um, you know, leader sets direction, leader sets course and pace. And so that's where you need to focus. And so our organization morphed kind of from a sales business development training company to really a leadership development and an executive coaching. We threw on coaching because the training element, we recognize that, and your listeners are probably laughing, most people go to training and then they go back to the office and they put the binder from the training or the workbook up on the shelf, it collects dust. Of course, credenza It's 90% of the time that they go to a workshop, uh, nothing gets implemented when they return back to the workspace. We started bolting on executive coaching or those types of accountability conversations post-workshop to really avoid and decrease the, that 90% that didn't do anything. We were able to successfully take it down to the 40th percentile. Still not happy with that. It's a it's a 2x improvement, though, over what it was. And so from an accomplishment perspective, we'll hang our hat on that. But, 
you know, you've got to work with leaders within the space. This is the thing that I, I talk to folks time and time again with that aren't successful. It's, it's based on where it is that you're aiming within the organization. Long story short, Howard, when we started the tip of the spear, we wanted to carry over a lot of that leadership development and executive coaching. And if you can imagine, it got really great traction with our entrepreneurial crowd. The problem working with the entrepreneurial crowd, though, was they didn't have any money to pay us. And while, you know, it's a nonprofit today, back then, Tip of the Spear, and even to this day, Tip of the Spear is very much a for-profit organization. You know, we, we couldn't afford to work with the folks that wanted us to provide that leadership development and executive coaching. So... In 2017, we slid that over to the nonprofit, the 501c3. We modeled it after one of the largest education service companies out there in the world that does education in a nonprofit capacity. They are a 100 plus million dollar annual revenue organization, but it cleared up a lot of the confusion about what it was that we offered at Tip of the Spear, who we specifically wanted to work with. And if somebody approaches us saying, you know, hey, I know you do some leadership development, we point them over to the Javelin Institute. If somebody says, you know, hey, look, I have all these goals and I'm not accomplishing them, we point them to the Javelin Institute. We've got three different types of coaching programs that work either with the leader, their team, or their organization. So it, it cleared up a lot of the confusion surrounding leadership development, executive coaching, and just made sense for us. And I also look at the Javelin Institute as this is where I want to spend the majority of my time in retirement. You know, I've got a 20-year plan. I don't want to work forever, but I sure do want to always help people. And that's what I think the Javelin Institute will allow me to do in retirement, too. Very good. Well, you just answered my next question is, what's next for you? And so you've just just shared that. When you're not uh, out there working, you know, used to be on planes going from one city to the next and Zoom calls in the age of COVID. When you're not uh, helping individuals and other companies, you know, kind of crush it in the marketplace, what do you do for fun? Yeah, so I'm super fortunate. I've got two daughters, um, my wife and I, and, you know, they're just great young ladies. And and so I love spending time with them. I'm a family guy. And believe it or not, you're exactly right. For the guy who's traveled 40 plus weeks a year forever, I love staying home. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in a restaurant, so I love to cook. Um, we did something in the wine business. So I love I love the wine and spirits industries. Uh, you know, and we love to entertain. And so, you know, it's it, surprisingly enough, I still love to travel too. You know, we, it's one of those things you would think that got, the last thing the guy who travels for a living would want to do is hop on another jet to go somewhere. But I still love that too. I, I think it's a product, as I mentioned earlier, of, of living in the same household growing up as a kid from birth to the time I went away to college. But I still love getting out there, still love traveling. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, those are the things that I love to do when I'm not working. Fantastic. So Sam, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, uh, where are the best places for them to go? Yeah. So you can find more information at tip of the spear ventures.com. I know in the show notes, we're going to put down today that 37 page, 128 questions, self uh, business transformation, self-assessment workbook. 
You can also find us over at the Javelin Institute. We'll probably put a link in the show notes to our Best Leader in 30 Days program. Sure. Check it out. Try it out. Um, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, that's my primary social uh, channel. Uh, I, I do some things on Twitter, but I tend to write in Italian just to keep that skill fresh. But LinkedIn is my primary uh, way of getting in touch with me. But if you've got a question, uh, I'm like I mentioned, I'm a helper. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you that. But I probably know somebody who can help that I'll refer you to. Fantastic. Well, we will most definitely provide the backlinks to Tip of the Spear, give them the the path to get the self-assessment and also to become the best leader in 30 days as well. And also the links back to the Javelin Institute. Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And you and I were on the phones, you know, throughout the year you know, talking about other things of business. And I don't know why it took so long. So I apologize, but I'm so grateful you that you're on the podcast today. And it's a great way to launch our coaching and consulting insight series uh, on success insight. So thank you for taking time out of your business to add. Truly appreciate it. I'm very grateful. My pleasure. Thank you, Howard. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Sam Palazzolo. He is as I shared earlier, wearing many hats, founder, managing director at Tip of the Spear, Ventures, founding partner at the Zeroing Agency and principal manager at the Javelin Institute. And, you know, throughout this portfolio of work, it's, you know, working at private equity, early stage uh, funding for entrepreneurs, looking at businesses to purchase and give that business owner, the, you know, that long-term business owner, kind of a path to retire, working with entrepreneurs to help them find the best next opportunity to grow their career through acquisition. And really just Sam is involved in so many areas and you do want to go out to tipofthespearventures.com Look at, he's got a great blog out there, very extensive blog, by the way, especially around the topic of business transformation. Do check out the transformation self-assessment, business transformation self-assessment, and we'll also provide you links back to the becoming the best leader in 30 days. And as well as the links to, uh, you know, LinkedIn, because as business folks go, that's the place to be to network. And, you know, and, and as Sam had said, truly, if you have a question, reach out. I mean, one of the most giving guys that I know. So, and once again, we're very happy to have uh, him here on our podcast today. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us on successinsightpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook and on LinkedIn, successinsightpodcast.com. We are on all of the major podcasting platforms. I can assure you of that right now, but some of the top ones are Amazon uh, Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, especially Spotify, because we organize all of our podcast episodes into playlist. And so this episode will be on our coaching and consulting insights series playlist. And so you'll see this episode along with other episodes as well from other uh, coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs. Okay, folks, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. 
if it's appropriate, wear that mask, practice social distancing, take care of yourselves, your family, go out there and make a difference. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast and the Coaching and Consulting Insight Series. Thanks so much. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.